The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 400, powered by Rageworks. Uh, This is exactly what the teasers have said, ladies and gents. This is the final episode of MTR, uh, the 400th one. Uh, Just trying to get our video squared away. Seems I'm a little rusty, (laughs) it looks like. But um, in any case, it's. uh, I'm going to get into that in a second. I don't know why our video is not playing right. Bear with me one second. All right, that's more like it. Anyway, as I said, this is episode 400 of My Take Radio. I uh, put a teaser out and I released some social media updates letting people know that this is going to be the final installment of MTR. It is going to be an MMA and wrestling edition, but we're going to go off topic a little bit, a little off book for for the last one. Uh, First off, before I get into tonight's topics, a little bit of background. I started MTR back in July of 2006 and um you know I did it I did it pretty much hot and heavy through 2006 2007 got a bit burned out uh took off 2008 came back in 2009 with a live format did the live episodes for about 200 episodes of audio back in August 2009 and around episode 200 or so we started doing video and we've been going ever since. And the thing about it is, with each evolution, with each thing that we've done with the show, we've, um, you know, we, we've reinvented ourselves. We've tried to do different and unique things to give you guys the, the best experience possible. And the problem with things like that is that, you know, you innovate, you improve, and then you reflect. And the thing about it was that, you know, when we started doing this way back in 2009. We were, we were running on all cylinders uh, learning as we went, uh, we had tons of awesome guests, tons of dope interviews. Uh, a lot of great people took time out of their schedules to come on air and uh, and believe in us. And what ended up happening with that is MTR continued to grow so much so that it went from a humble podcast to a full fl- a full fledged website with uh, with a staff of amazing people. And then um, we went to you know RageWorks. Rageworks pretty much evolved from my take radio. There would be no Rageworks without MTR. And along the way, I, you know, I brought in an awesome team. I met a lot of great people and it's, it's been an amazing ride. But as 
I've always said, you know, when, when it stops becoming fun, it's, you know, it's, it's time to hang it up. And what's been happening is I'll be honest, doing the live stuff was burning me out and, uh, it was, it was catching up. It was taking its toll. Uh, a lot of work goes into a live broadcast. Those of you that do your own live shows can attest, uh, you know, more than anything that there's, there's a lot that goes into it from, you know, things like preparation, lighting, video, audio, you name it. It's all part of, it's all part of doing a live show. And, um, it was good, man. It was good. We, we created Rageworks Studios, had a studio set up, got everything up and running, and I continued doing uh, the live shows. Shortly after, I realized that, you know, the live shows were taking their toll. We were going to switch over, start doing podcasts, kept doing the podcasts and um, releasing them every week. I want to thank all of you guys for downloading them. And I don't know, something something was missing. And a, a few weeks back, I had a conversation with uh, Jimbo Slice, who many of you know is my, you know, I co-host the Variant Issue with him and have been doing so for six months now. We just had our, our latest episode go out and um, it was awesome, you know. I, I said to myself, this is without a doubt, you know, one of the one of the coolest things we've done in quite some time. And we we had an awesome conversation about it and we said, you know, it's never that he said to me, he's like, you know, this is this is great because there's no pressure. And that line that line resonated with me quite a bit. You know, the words no pressure, uh, mostly because, you know, you hear that and you say to yourself, yeah, you know, it's always good to do stuff without pressure. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, you know, there was there wasn't any real pressure for me to do MTR live anymore. And I said to myself, you know what, maybe. I don't need to do it. And I'll explain over the course of, you know, the last 10 plus years, I've, I've worked again with some amazing people, uh, from slick to my own family members, to our very own quark, who's in the chat, uh, Jay Santi, who came on board, uh, Jimbo slice, who I've been friends with for years, came on board. Um, Tony, Ben Taylor, all of, all of you guys, you know, you guys came in, you made this, you made this job amazing. And the beauty of it is that all of you helped make this decision extremely easy. So much so that I said to myself, you know, I don't I don't need to do the live show and I don't need to talk about wrestling in a podcast format because Jay Santi holds it down with TRSS and he does that. Um, when it comes to talking about entertainment, gaming, any of that stuff, Ben and Taylor, they hold it down. And I realized that the 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 pupils had in in theory superseded the master <laughs> which is a crazy way of looking at it but that's that's exactly what it was the pupils have superseded the master and as such i um you know i'm stepping away not doing mtr anymore that doesn't mean i'm done podcasting please don't think that on the contrary i'm still going to do the variant issue with jimbo slice i'm still going to do the occasional interviews that will release and a couple of other things but the grind of my take radio um you know that's it you got to you got to kill your creation. So with that, you know, I want to first off thank everybody who I've had the pleasure of working with, everybody who's come on board, done shows with us, um, called in, interacted, followed us, supported us, retweeted us, uh, shared our stuff on social. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to all of you guys. I'm grateful for everything that you guys have done to help make this the, you know, the best thing possible. And as a result of that, you know, I, I take pride in that, you know. 
It's um, it's awesome. You know, it really is. I know a lot of people have been messaging me this week saying, "Man, it's the last one. How do you feel?" Blah blah blah. And I I I feel I feel great. I you know I feel great. And um, it's 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 fucking awesome. It really is. I feel a, a tremendous weight lifted off my shoulders, and um, I think that's it. You know that that pretty much sums it up. So, without further ado, last MTR. Let's get to it. So, on tonight's MMA, we're going to be talking about the return of GSP and who he's going to be facing. We're going to get into some of the MMA news of the week. On the wrestling side of things, of course, we're going to talk Raw, SmackDown. We're going to give I'm going to give you guys my predictions for Fastlane and. Um, some of the other stuff that's been going on, I believe that Jay might be calling in as well to share his thoughts on this week's wrestling news. But let's not waste any more time and jump into this week's MMA, shall we? All right, so first and foremost, I want to start off with um, this past weekend's Bellator event, which had Liam McGeary uh, fighting on the card, and I actually got to see only his fight and um, the rest of the Bellator card I didn't see. I felt that Bellator has become a weekly a weekly occurrence where very few fights are really pushed by the by the mainstream public. And um, what ends up happening is the you know they fall by the wayside. So I ended up catching the final fight of the night. Saw Liam McGeary dispatch Brett McDermott, and um, it was pretty solid. Overall, I feel that Bellator is falling into the same the same problem the UFC is where there are constantly pay-per-views or let me rephrase that special events every week. Uh, every week it's the same shit. And I say to myself, damn, you know, can, can we, can we catch a break one weekend without a, a, a not a mediocre MMA card, but just an MMA card. That's not as great as it should be. And the Bellator card had a lot of issues going in. Liam McGeary, I think was on like his third uh, opponent. And, um, it was crazy. I mean, it was a great fight for him, but it was just something where uh, I really did not uh, it didn't gel well with me personally. Of course, this weekend, you know, we have the uh, the upcoming UFC card, which I'm going to get into. Of course, we got Tyron Woodley, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which is going to be a tremendous fight and a fight to keep an eye on for sure, especially because, you know, the between that and the co-main with Khabib and um and Tony Ferguson is going to be tremendous. Rashad Evans fighting on that card. It's it's going to be bananas. And um, I want to get into that also and break that down because um, there there's definitely some solid fights on that card. The Fox Sports 1 prelims are, they're all right. I mean, you know, you got some decent fights on there. But the, the pay-per-view portion is where I'm going to give you guys my picks over Eamon Hunt. Uh, also on that card, Venata and Tamor, uh, Rashad Evans, uh, I believe that's Paul Kelly, if I'm correct. I got to just make sure I got that broken down. And, um, you know, of course, the, the two the two big ones, uh, Ferguson and uh, Ferguson and Khabib and Stephen Thompson and Tyron Woodley, which, uh, man, that's that's going to be the one that we definitely are not going to want to miss. That is highlight real finishes for days. And I'm going to give you guys my picks for the main card in a few minutes before we get into uh, the other MMA news of the week. So if you guys caught the podcast version of My Take Radio last week, you know that uh, Chris Cyborg was uh, received a therapeutic use exemption uh, for her for the current drug that she tested positive for because of some issues that she has. Well, it turns out that GM Volante, who was also flagged for testing positive, actually received an exemption as well. He actually got a retroactive therapeutic 
use exemption for an inhaler. Uh, the USADA announced that his um, his exemption is retroactive. He is now the second fighter to receive that. Uh, Chris Cyborg, of course, being the first. Uh, he tested positive for a drug called Villanterol, which is uh, part of the Brio Ellipta inhaler. According to the statement released, uh, Villanterol is a beta two antagonist, uh, excuse me, beta two agonist, which is banned because they are believed to contain anabolic properties when used in high doses. Uh, Gian Vellante did submit the application after testing positive for a retroactive uh, therapeutic use exemption. Um, of course, because the exemption was granted retroactively and his declaration of the of a prohibited substance was uh, no longer ruled as competing with a banned substance, he was actually allowed now to fight in the UFC fight night card in Brazil. So very interesting now uh, him being the second fighter to receive a therapeutic use exemption. So while he ends up getting a pass, Tom Lawler, on the other hand, did not. Tom, Tom Lawler was flagged for uh, doping in November, and he has been uh, suspended for two years as a result. He had uh, Osterine which was found in an out-of-competition urine test that was conducted in October. Osterine is a prohibited substance and is, and is categorized as an anabolic agent and is prohibited at all times under both the UFC anti-doping policy and is also on the WADA prohibited list. Now, the thing about this is that Tom Lawler, you know, many of us have been following because he's a, he's a big pro wrestling fan and... Um, all signs are pointing to him possibly making a run in the pro wrestling circuit. Of course, Matt Riddle is currently uh, working with Evolve, and he's been rather successful. And now, you know, in Tom Lawler's case, it's going to be something that we're going to watch with much interest because I wouldn't be shocked if Lawler takes those two years and decides to either make a run and actually becoming a full-fledged professional wrestler or at minimum gets a couple of indie dates under his belt. All right. The um the saga with Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor gets crazier and crazier every week. Every week it's will they or won't they, will they or won't they, will they or won't they, which again, it's not something out of I mind. It's just something that has genuinely run its course. For me personally, I think that if like and I've and I've said this on, on previous episodes, if they do fight, it, it it's a spectacle, it's worth seeing. But if they don't, it's it's really not the end of the world. And I'm being honest. I, I genuinely feel that we've reached a point with these guys where if they fight, it's tremendous. Everybody's happy. Everybody wins. But if they don't, nobody nobody really loses when it's all said and done. I'm, I'm being honest. Now, the thing is that we went from Floyd Mayweather saying it wasn't going to happen to Floyd Mayweather actively looking for the fight. During an interview recently with Showtime Sports, he was asked about the fight and he said, I'm here to say 224 on my birthday. They keep throwing the Conor McGregor name out there. Conor McGregor, like I said before, I'm here. Let's make it happen. Let's make the fight happen. Let's give the fans what they want to see. There's only one fight out there that's important, and that's Mayweather and Conor McGregor. Really, really crazy. He also went on to say, when asked if the fight would be competitive, he said, I mean, because every time Conor McGregor goes out there and competes and wins, he does it standing up. When Conor McGregor did lose, he lost on the ground. He didn't lose standing up. So he's a hell of a fighter and a very, and a very, very tough competitor, and he has the will to win. The UFC gloves are no different from boxing gloves. They're just a little bit smaller, but if a guy got power, he got power, and Conor McGregor has power. 
See, here's the here's the problem with this, and I've said this before. Yes, it, it would be an interesting fight to see. And yes, Conor McGregor definitely can stand and and dispense punishment. This is true. But when it's all said and done, let's be realistic. If Floyd Mayweather beats Conor McGregor, then in essence, you're damaging Conor McGregor's legacy because it's like, yo, this dude fought stand-up all this time. He fought this guy and he got his ass kicked. And again, I'm talking about speculation. In the sense of if it was the reverse and Conor McGregor beat Mayweather, then it's like, damn, dude, you, you know, you're, you, you were undefeated and you got beat by a guy who doesn't even have professional boxing credentials. There's a lot, there's a lot to say for either fighter in this case. And again, as a fan, I'd be intrigued. I definitely see it. I think that there's, that there's potential there from an entertainment standpoint. But when it's all said and done, and I've said this before, it's like when it comes to legacy, what does it really do for either guy? Yes, it, it definitely gives you a fat paycheck because that goes without saying. But when it's all said and done, is it, was it worth it? Was it really worth it? Yes, the payday is great, but the damage to your reputation and your legacy is, is always there. I mean, when, when Randy Couture, um, you know, he fought, what the hell was the name of the boxer that Randy Couture fought? If anybody can give me a, uh, a lifeline, <laughs> I, I would appreciate it. I'm a little rusty. But, um, in any case, um, when, when he came, James Tony, there you go. When James Tony came over and fought in the UFC and he fought Randy Couture and got dispatched in the blink of an eye, that didn't do anything for Randy Couture. And it sure as fuck didn't do anything for James Tony. On the contrary, what people said was, look at the UFC doing freak show fights. They're past this point. They don't need to do it. And to that point, I agree. That's not to say that McGregor and Mayweather is a freak show fight. I think there's there's interesting conversation there. Obviously, you have a seasoned pugilist in Floyd Mayweather, and you have an accomplished stand-up mixed martial artist in Conor McGregor. But again, is, is, it, is it really something we want to see, or is it just something that's being that's being marketed in such a way that we just can't ignore it. Like I said, I don't have a problem with Floyd Mayweather. A lot of people give the guy a lot of hate and I think that the guy is, you know, a spectacular fighter and I got to say, you know, a lot of people give him shit about not, you know, about the way he fights, but I got to say this, you know, if you're a, a good fighter, the whole point is not getting hit. If you could give out damage and not get hit, then you're fucking doing your job. I mean, don't get me wrong. Do we want to see him go out there and have slugfests and wars? I mean, we want to see that with any fighter. If you see a guy go out there and, you know, Lyoto Machida is a great example. Everybody talks about Lyoto Machida's elusive style and how how it's it's so unique and blah, blah, blah. And it was all well and good initially. And then eventually people just got tired of the bullshit. And they're like, yo, can this fucking guy fight? And the same thing ended up happening going further with uh, with Dominic Cruz, people like Dominic Cruz, but the beauty of, of Dominic Cruz and his unique movement is the fact that he's constantly attacking. When Cody Garbrandt came out and did the same thing, it was it was fun. It was refreshing. But I, I have to say that eventually that's going to wear out as well. Now, again, the amount of money that's up for grabs with these guys fighting, whether it's promoted by the UFC, promoted independently. At the end of the day, these guys are going to swim in a lot of money. But. When it comes to legacy, what, what what do you have when it's all said and done? Like I said, if McGregor if McGregor if McGregor wins, then Floyd Mayweather's reputation is going to take a hit. It's that simple. If you know if Floyd Mayweather wins, then Conor McGregor's reputation is going to take as much of a hit as well. Because again, you're talking about a guy that fought a bunch of other people who he fought competitively, but then got dispatched by a guy who has no no formal 
mixed martial arts striking and is just a boxer. But again, you know, for the people that say that it's a very one-sided and very one-dimensional viewpoint, only because we've had plenty of boxers that have transitioned to MMA. Uh, Marcus, the Irish hand grenade Davis is a great example. We've got a lot of boxers that have transitioned. They just don't box the way that you, you know, the way that boxing should be. They do, you know, some hybrid form of, of, of MMA boxing, but not real boxing. And that's where the real test is. And that's where I personally, as a fan, am intrigued about this fight. Because again, if McGregor comes up and decides, all right, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to do a full boxing camp. We're going to do full fight, 12 rounds. It's it, the, uh, when it's all said and done, McGregor ends up benefiting even more so because he ends up adding a better dynamic in term, you know, a better dimension to his striking. That's all I got to say, but we'll see what happens. Mayweather now is saying that he's interested in the fight. It's all about the numbers. And before it's all said and done, I have a feeling we're going to see it, but I also have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of money on the table when that goes down. I see here a uh, (laughs) communique from Jimbo slice. If you want a bottle of sleeping pills, watch a Machida fight, not entertaining. That's see, that's what happened. Lyoto Machida, everybody was wowed by his elusiveness and, and all this other shit. But when he did that for, for you know, out of a 25-minute fight, he did it for 15 minutes. People lost. They, they just didn't give a shit. And that's that's the thing. You know, it's, it's, it's something that people definitely have to talk about. All right, in some other news, it looks like UFC 212 is starting to take some, some shape. Obviously, Jose Aldo and um, Max Holloway are supposed to be squaring off for the featherweight title unification bout. Also, uh, Carolina Kowalskowicz is scheduled to be taking on Claudia Gadelia, which are going to be two very, very, very dope fights. And I think UFC 212 is going to be a fight card that you don't want to miss. Now, on the flip side, it, you know, this weekend's fight with um, uh, with Khabib and, you know, and Tony Ferguson, it's interesting because TMZ actually asked Dana White about it because obviously, again, the big thing is Conor McGregor and they're like, um, so when is Conor fighting? And Dana White pretty much said that Conor will be fighting the winner of Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov, which I got to tell you, I, you know, like I said, I like Conor McGregor, but if he fights Khabib, he's going to fucking lose period. Uh, McGregor, McGregor can barely, you know, he had no defense for Brazilian jiu-jitsu and you think he's going to have defense for an accomplished wrestler. I mean, Khabib may want to try and keep it standing much like, um, you know, much like a lot of these other guys that are wrestlers have done. They fall into the McGregor trap and then lose. But I got to tell you, if Khabib, Khabib probably out of the two has the better chance. Tony Ferguson has has the tools from a striking perspective. I think he's going to give McGregor a problem on the stand up. But I think that's a fight that can go that can definitely go the distance. I think with Khabib, though. He definitely has the tools to to dispatch McGregor quickly if that fight does go down. But in any case, it doesn't matter because we got to wait for McGregor, obviously, to become a dad, which I believe his partner has. She has not given birth yet. And still, even after she does, he's going to want to take at least three months. So I have a feeling we're not going to see McGregor till at minimum the late summer and what are you going to do? Keep the winner of Khabib Ferguson on on the shelf until then? Or are you going to let that 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 fighter take a fight until McGregor decides to get his ass back in the cage? These are these are all, you know, valid questions that that are going to be raised this weekend when when this fight does go down. 
In some other fight news, the UFC is heading back to Sweden. And of course, Alexander Gustafsson is in your main event, taking on Glover Teixeira, which I'm not shocked about. That's going to be happening in Stockholm on May 28th. I like Alexander Gustafsson. I feel like I haven't seen him fight in um, in ages. And, um, you know, uh, I, uh, it, I'll definitely check it out, but I just don't feel he has the tools to be a main eventer. Uh Yes, I was going to answer that. Mortis said, and I quote, Khabib versus Ferguson should be an interim title fight then. And Val just uh, beat me to the punch. Thank you, Val. It is indeed an interim title fight. And of course, the winner, the winner will fight McGregor when McGregor decides to come back in the cage. So there is that. Another fight that got put together was a fight for UFC 211. And that is Damian Maya taking on Jorge Masvidal. Of course, Masvidal is riding that wave of momentum dispatching Donald Cowboy Cerrone, which was a heartbreaker, but still a dope fight. Um, I definitely, I like Damian Maya. I think his jujitsu game is amazing to watch, but I have a fee, but his, his standup is extremely questionable. And I think that Jorge Masvidal is going to run through Damian Maya to get himself a title opportunity. Simple as that. The other big news story, of course, Mark Hunt and the UFC have been, fighting back and forth. Of course, Mark Hunt took the UFC to court uh, in light of the whole Brock Lesnar situation. And Mark Hunt is actually fighting on the card this weekend. I'm sure Dana White definitely has his money on Alistair Overeem, which um, while I would love that to be the case, we all know that Mark Hunt is probably going to kill Overeem dead. But in any case, um, the UFC and Dana White have filed a motion to have Mark Hunt's lawsuit against them dismissed. MMA Junkie reports that the filing from the Las Vegas-based firm Campbell and Williams claims that Hunt has failed to prove his claims that White, the UFC, and Brock Lesnar conspired to rob him of a fair fight. The suit, of course, was filed after Lesnar tested positive for two drug tests in connection to the UFC 200 fight, which he did win via unanimous decision before it was overturned due to the test results. Now, of course... Mark Hunt definitely has plenty of recourse at, you know, at his disposal. But the big issue is that he's going to go to court with the UFC while he's still employed by them. And he has a fight this weekend. There's a lot of there's a lot of juggling going on. There's a lot of balls in the air. And while I think that Mark Hunt has plenty of, you know, plenty of a he has a solid foundation to stand on in this particular legal issue with the UFC. The problem is that you're saying that the UFC knowingly conspired with your opponent, knowing that Brock was on banned substances. And the thing about it is, is exactly that there has to be proof. There has to be precedent that the UFC was aware of any sort of supplementation that Brock Lesnar was on, whether legal or otherwise. And I feel that Brock Lesnar's physique has always been questionable. And it's something that we, you know, even when he came into that way in against Mark Hunt, we saw that it was, it was bananas. He really just looked completely like a different dude. And I said to myself, I'm like, Holy shit, you know, this is, this is pretty insane that, um, that this guy, you know, this guy comes in and he's, he's ripped to ripped to shreds. And, um, you know, it, it, he hasn't been in the cage in forever. And again, that's not to say that Brock, um, you know, Brock looks the part cause he definitely doesn't. But the thing is, you know, it was questionable as soon as Brock took the scales. That's all I'm saying. So the UFC, whether they knew or they didn't know it, or they didn't know that's what needs to be proven. And I think Mark Hunt is going to have an uphill battle in that regard. Val says in the chat, 
Alistair's head is going to be in at least the fifth row. And then Val also adds that celebrity exemption from USADA testing doesn't look good for the UFC. And that right there is exactly where Mark Hunt actually has a leg to stand on. Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, he's he's going to have to go out there and prove that that the UFC was aware. And that, again, there's there's definitely questions that can be raised because of it. But I'm not sure it's going to be something that that they're going to be able to do much with. That's all I'm saying. At the end of at the end of the day, I feel that, you know, you're you're going to you're only as good as as what you you know, the evidence that you have. And while the evidence is solid, you're also fighting a fucking machine with an army of lawyers. So I have a feeling that if Mark Hunt loses this fight, the UFC may find a way to cut him out of his contract. I wouldn't be shocked if they did that. But if the in the event that Mark Hunt wins, they're probably either going to have him sit out his contract or they're just going to try and put him in there with different headhunters to take him out until his fight commitments are over and then they send him on his way. It's that simple. Now, is it right? Is it wrong? It you know, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, it is business. So I'm getting a uh, communique that there's an issue with the Skype line. Let's see what we got here. All right, let's try and get that get that resolved. Get that microphone volume up a bit. There we go. All right. So the last bit of MMA news, of course, besides the fight picks I want to get into, is the big news of the week, and that is the return of GSP. We, you know, I mentioned it during last week's podcast version of My Take Radio that GSP was on the verge of coming back. And as of, you know, earlier today, it is not only guaranteed, but 100% official from the UFC and a fight was announced as well as GSP is making his debut at 185 and challenging Michael Bisping for the middleweight title. Um, while everybody was excited, if I were Yoel Romero, Jacare, or Luke Rockhold, I would definitely be annoyed. But I also would look at this as a blessing in disguise because it is a guaranteed payday for whoever goes in there to fight GSP. Now, a lot of people were saying that this this fight is is dangerous for GSP because, you know, he has obviously ring rust. But I also feel that he's fighting an older uh, Michael Bisping. And the thing is that even though Bisping is champion, you know, he he's not the he's not the Bisping of old. He's he's definitely a, a weathered warrior who's going to go in there. And I feel that the, that the fight, as much as people don't want to say this, is going to be pretty fucking even. I'm being honest. And the reason I say this is because the the fight itself, Michael Bisping, he's he's older, you know, he's got injuries and even though he defeated Luke Rockhold soundly, he's you know, he definitely has father time against him. In GSP's case, even though he's he's a young fighter, he has been out of the cage for quite some time. Now, that's not to say that GSP hasn't been training or working or doing any of that, but cage rust is cage rust. And I think that when it comes down to it, there's going to be a, um, I feel that the fight's going to be evenly matched in my opinion. And the, the, the beauty of this is that even if, if, if GSP defeats Michael Bisping, there's a lot to, on the table. First of all, we have a fight between him and Yoel Romero, a fight between him and Jacare, a fight in between, uh, GSP and Rockhold. So there's good fights there. And most importantly, something that Mortis mentioned earlier in the chat, you still can do GSP and Anderson Silva, which 
even even if people even if people aren't remotely as interested, it is still a fight that is going to put asses in seats. So GSP going to 185 is going to be very very interesting, and there is also still the whole possibility of GSP fighting Conor McGregor, which is a fight that everybody knows the UFC would love to find a way to make. Whether it's at 170 or not, that's that's the question. I'm I'm curious to see what GSP how you know how GSP's weight cut goes. I mean, he usually walks around at at 200 and change, and now he's making the cut to 185, and he was a big. 170 pounder when he was fighting um of course johnny hendricks was one of the first guys that said oh you know i want to fight gsp when he comes back i want to you know i want to fight him at 185 and of course we'd all like to see that fight for a for a bunch of reasons but the thing is that as much as we'd like to see that fight that's not the fight that's going to make money gsp coming in and fighting for a title is going to make money bisping is going to go out of his way to sell the shit out of that fight with all the shit talking not only that but like I said, there's plenty of potential at 185. And I didn't even mention the fact that we still can get a GSP Nick Diaz fight at 185 for the 185 pound title, if that were the case. So again, there's a ton of factors here. There's a ton of great things going on. And something that somebody said to me before, even though GSP is coming in at 185, that doesn't mean that he can't go back down and fight at 170. Who, who who's going to stop him if he decides to say, I want to make a run at 170 or a challenge for the 170 pound title since I never lost. And again, chasing history, becoming a two division champion. There's there's ample there's ample things there that can be done, which can definitely lead to some amazing, amazing things. But how that pans out remains to be seen. All right. So as I said, to close out our our final MMA segment. We got some fights this weekend. Um, I want to talk about the pay-per-view portion of the UFC 209 card. Uh, The opener is going to be Alistair Overeem and Mark Hunt. Um, You know, I like Alistair Overeem. I like the Demolition Man or the Ream as he's now called. I've always been a fan, but Mark Hunt is Mark Hunt. And the problem was with Alistair Overeem's last performance, him complaining about the, his loss and the way that he did that, I was really bummed out. So, you know, there's a little sour grapes there. And I like Mark Hunt. And, I, you know, considering all the shit he's got going on with the organization, I want him to play the role of spoiler. As much as people want to see Mark Hunt lose, I want to see him win because it just it just continues to, to validate a guy who everybody wants to write off, even though he's incredibly dangerous and has a one punch knockout power that that is, you know, is one of the few guys in the division that can end a fight in the blink of an eye. And with Alistair Overeem's chin, I would worry about that quite a bit. Next fight, Lando Venata taking on David Tamer. I've seen Venata fight, uh, I believe, twice. I think David Tamer once. I'm kind of going coin flip here, even though uh, Lando Venata has been fighting for, for quite some time. And his, his placement on the card definitely is is not bad. Like I said, if I had to choose between the two, I'm going to go coin flip here because it would be a disservice to root over one fighter over the other without seeing their complete body of work. And I'm going to go with Lando Venata only because he is a more, he, he has a little bit more experience. Um, Rashad Evans taking on Daniel Kelly, not Paul Kelly. I, I fucked that up earlier. Uh, Rashad's making his 185 pound debut. As many of you know, Rashad, we've been waiting for him to get back in the cage for quite some time. He's been dealing with some interesting medical issues and, um, 
It looks like the path is clear for him to fight. And I'm actually going to pick him at 185. I think that if Rashad can maintain that that same speed that he had at 170 at 185, it, he's going to be a problem. I mean, he came into the UFC, if you guys remember, at heavyweight way back when. And he's been cutting down ever since, going down to 170 and now going up to 185. I think that him being at 185, actually, correction, him coming down from heavyweight to light heavyweight at 205 to now 185, it just shows an incredible an incredible amount of discipline for Evans to even make that cut because, you know, he was he was big at 205. And now to come down to 185, I um I'm intrigued. I want to see him fight. And, um you know, the thing the thing that gets me is that once again, with GSP now at 185, where does Rashad Evans fall in the mix? A lot of a lot of shit, man. A lot of shit that you can't ignore right now. That's for sure. Uh, Khabib and Tony Ferguson. Man, it, it's tough. I'm a fan of both fighters. I like, I like, I like the way that Tony Ferguson has approached this, and you know the shit talking that he's doing. And Khabib is just a monster, and he's really, really, really gunning for getting a fight with McGregor in Russia. It's, it's tough. I don't even want to pick this fight because, like I said, I like, I like, I'm a fan of both fighters, but I'm gonna go with Khabib on this one. I think Khabib is just, he's gonna, he's gonna come in, he's gonna work that wrestling, he's gonna grind. And, and try and get Ferguson on the ground for, for the submission victory. And I think he definitely has the tools to be the grinder in this fight. So I'm going to take Khabib, uh, as the winner. And of course, he'll, um, I see him facing McGregor. And if he fights McGregor, I see him beating McGregor. Our main event, Tyron Woodley, Steven Wonderboy Thompson running it back one more time. And, um, the thing that gets me with this fight is, you know, Steven Thompson was written off by a lot of people coming in because you see Steven Thompson, you know, he's a lean guy. He's happy go lucky. He's carefree. He's a, he's just a, a really cool dude and, and a good ambassador for the sport. And Tyron Woodley, he's been, he's been walking around with a chip on his shoulder and with good reason. I mean, he definitely hasn't been getting a lot of the same opportunities. Some of his other champions have been getting. And I also feel that the UFC doesn't really promote him the way they should. He also, has cited, you know, some questionable racial stuff that's been going on. And here's the thing in, uh, you know, not even putting race in the equation in terms of just athletics and, and the way that they're, that athletes are presented. I do feel that Tyron Woodley has not got a fair shake in the UFC. It pains me to say it, but it's true. I mean, I'll be honest. If you're not Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey or even Cody Garbrandt or, um, Sage Northcutt or Paige Van Zandt or any of the quote unquote UFC chosen ones, you get no love, none, zero, no pun intended as Cody Garbrandt's uh, fight name is no love, but I'm being honest, all the fighters in the UFC and I, and I want people to be honest, how many fighters outside of Ronda Rousey or, um, GSP or John Bones Jones or, like I said, Paige Van Zandt, Sage Northcutt. How many, uh, what other champions do you hear about? And I'm not even talking about fighters. I'm talking about champions because Ronda's not a champion. She's always talked about Paige Van Zandt hasn't even touched the gold, uh, hasn't even touched gold. And she's, you know, she's uh, one of the chosen few. And that's the thing that bothers me. You know, you got all these guys, they're champs, and you would, you, you don't know shit about them. You don't. I know more about Steven Thompson than I know about Tyron Woodley. And the only reason I say that is because I know about Tyron Woodley from him fighting in strike force, because if the UFC had anything to say about it, you wouldn't know shit about him on the, And the other thing is 
that he's been vilified so much. I, I get it that he's a cocky guy. He's got a chip on his shoulder, but he backs it up. He's a bad motherfucker. You're talking about a guy that dispatched Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler's no slouch. Robbie Lawler's no pushover. And he came through and he took out Robbie Lawler with one punch, period. And people don't like to hear that shit, but let's be real. The UFC, if you're not part of their chosen few that they feel are going to take them to the next level, they don't give a fuck about you. Look at Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse. This guy's been champion for as far back as I can fucking remember. And they do nothing to promote it. Zero. He actually was involved in a stream for the for the game that just came out for honor and they were promoting the game. And he was one of the, the, the fighters that was, you know, going out there and being an ambassador for the game. We wouldn't have even known. We would not have even fucking known that your champion was promoting a game if the company and the developers didn't do the PR for you. And it's a it's a damn shame. And the thing is, the new UFC ownership Everybody said that GSP coming in was a matter of money and him keeping his existing endorsements, meaning his Under Armour endorsement and everything else, which I'm sure is perfectly intact. In addition to that, GSP is probably getting Reebok money, too. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy. And that's the thing that bothers me. Val says Woodley's last fight is the reason why he doesn't get any shine. He was a punk in that fight. But you know what the problem is, Val? Even before then... Nobody really was giving Woodley any love, even though he's an incredible athlete and a, and a good fighter. It was just like, oh, yeah, Tyron Woodley, strike force prospect, a uh, good wrestler. It would they never did anything. And that's what I've always said. When Chris Weidman was champion, here's here's one. Chris Weidman, when Chris Weidman was champion, this is a guy that you sent to speak to uh, politicians here to get MMA sanctioned in New York. This is a guy who was from a from a from a fam, you know a good family a great background he had an incredible story he had a bunch of shit going for him when he was champion zero zero promotion zero they did nothing nothing i'll give you an example amanda nunez who is your newly crowned champion defeated ronda rousey in highlight real fashion how much shit is the ufc doing with her anyone bueller oh yeah that's right nothing Where's the, where's the, where's the special fighter diary on, on Amanda Nunes and her struggles? Oh yeah, that's right. There is none, you know? And I, and I get it. I get it. That personality and Val said it, no personality in both cases. I get that. I get that personality is a factor, but you know what? Part of the reason why sometimes personality is, is, you know, not developed is because you're not putting the fighters out there and you're not putting them in situations where they can be better. One thing that WWE does, if you have the perfect combination, whether it's the look and the mic work, or you have just the look or just the mic work, you get thrown in the deep water, period. You get thrown in the deep fucking water. Because if you have it, and the WWE believes you have it, guess what you're doing? You're cutting that promo on Monday Night Raw at eight at 8.01. You know, you're, cover, you're selling a pay-per-view, because that's your fucking job. Unless you're Brock Lesnar and then you got Paul Heyman doing it for you. But in the case of the UFC, guess what? Your champions are your organization. Yes, there's there's a bunch of suits and there's a bunch of money. But the fighters are the ones that get eyes on the sport. And I'll be honest, if it's not Ronda Rousey or John Jones or any of the quote-unquote UFC chosen ones, nobody gives a fuck about the sport. And that's what's been happening over the last few months. 
casual fans that I knew watch the sport for, for all of those key fighters don't watch the sport anymore. You know, people say to me, they go, yeah, man, you know, I was watching it, man, but it's just got kind of stale. It's not as exciting. There's not as many cool fighters. There's not like all kinds of shit. And you know what the problem is? It's hard to ignore that commentary. It's very difficult, you know? And uh, Morta says her, a man, with regards to Amanda Nunes, he says her personality is her fists beating up Ronda Rousey. Val then adds, and I quote, yeah, but she can't speak English. Val also adds, if it wasn't for the fact that Silva was champion for damn near a decade, he wouldn't be a name either. <laughs> if that, And then Mortis adds, if that's a problem, then they never should have signed her. I'll give you guys one better. Jose Aldo. Before Jose Aldo fought Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo's fight record was insane. The fact that the, he hadn't been defeated in not months, but years was a testament to what kind of an athlete we were dealing with. But guess what? Nobody knew about that until the golden touch from 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 the Lucky Charms, you know, reared its ugly head, period. Conor McGregor made Jose Aldo famous. And people say this, and they say it on Twitter, and they say it on Reddit, and it's bullshit. Because Jose Aldo was putting fools in a coma well before then. Ask Uriah Faber when his leg was fucking purple. Ask him. You know, it's like, it's like you, Uriah Faber's leg was the color of the meat that Rocky was beating up in, in, in the meat locker from fighting Jose Aldo, you know, and they did nothing. They did nothing. And yes, I get it. The language barrier, the language barrier, the language barrier. But guess what? Here's what you do. You put the fighters in these situations where they can bring in their native fans. You take advantage of their native fans. You take advantage of that fan base. And you use that those fighters and that language barrier to help your sport grow in those markets, period. In Brazil, you're either playing soccer or you're doing MMA. Take advantage of that. Do that shit. You know, it's it's crazy. It really is crazy. Nobody gave a shit about poor Jose Aldo until it was time for Jose Aldo to get put to sleep by Conor McGregor in 13 seconds. Nobody cared. And, and forget it, everybody was on the McGregor hype train. They ignored all of Jose Aldo's accomplishments. These are the same people that talk shit about Fedor. When Fedor was putting motherfuckers in the ground when MMA was full of badasses. Yes, there were a couple of questionable fights, but you can't dispute the fact that Fedor is one of the greatest heavyweight fighters walking this planet, period. Simple as that. Morta says, I remember when Jose Aldo was being promoted a lot when the UFC bought WEC. They were booking him as the number two pound-for-pound fighter behind Anderson Silva. Val then adds, but isn't the, that, that bad promotion on the UFC's part that they can't sell their own fights, but the fighters have to drum up this bullshit, I hate you storylines to sell fights? Val then adds, they can learn from boxing by showing the crazy highlights that these, that these killers have. Absolutely. And I'll give you an example. My knowledge of boxing is very, very, very casual. I watched Muhammad Ali fight when I was a kid. I watched Mike Tyson fight a few times when I was a kid. But, you know, I know about guys like Triple G or, you know, guys like uh, Felix Trinidad at the time. Because of that reason, highlight reels, things like that. Guys like Jimbo Slice showing me like, yo, look at this fight with this dude just beating the fuck out of this other guy. Kovalev, another guy. I, I, I know nothing about boxing. And you know what I learned from watching those highlight reels? Those are some bad motherfuckers. Period. You know? And that's the thing. Canelo, another guy. It, it, it's insane. 
it really is insane that the UFC has all this work, all this tape, all this stuff, and they have zero to show for it. Zero. Anyway, my last pick, as I said, Tyron Woodley, Stephen Thompson. I like Tyron Woodley, but I think Stephen Thompson has the tools and the kryptonite to defeat Tyron Woodley this Saturday. So to recap, uh, Stephen, Stephen Thompson defeating Woodley, Khabib defeating Ferguson, Rashad defeating Keddie, uh, Kelly, excuse me, Lando Venata defeating David Tamer, and Mark Hunt separating Alistair Overeem from his consciousness. So there you have it, guys. Those are my UFC 209 fight picks, and that will close out the MMA segment for this episode of My Take Radio. So with that, let's switch gears and jump into some wrestling, shall we? Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. Look at that here. Andre, the giant WrestleMania. Everyone has a price for this. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man. What a crazy week in the world of professional wrestling. When it comes to Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, you know, we got the pay-per-view this weekend. It, it's been questionable. But the real news stories are happening outside of professional wrestling, and they involve TNA, uh, guys like the Hardys. There's, there's, there's a lot of shit to get into on that front. So let's get the ball rolling with this past Monday's Raw which was supposed to sell me on watching WWE Fastlane this Sunday. And allow me to say that it did a piss-poor job. Outside of Goldberg's decent promo work and Kevin Owens being on, on another gear and Seth Rollins doing the, doing the damn thing, for the most part, if I didn't know there was a pay-per-view Sunday, you could have fucking fooled me. I'm being honest. I mean, we had some decent matches uh, a couple, some were better than others. Um, Akira Tozawa and Noam Dar stuck out to me. I like that match. I thought that the Sheamus Titus O'Neill match was not only completely awful, but it had terrible buildup. Uh, the Big Show defeating the Shining Stars was was exactly what you would expect. Uh, Perkins and Gallagher and and Gallagher taking on Tony Nese and Neville was probably my favorite match of the night, and the Samoa Joe Cesaro match was fucking aces. Everything else was forgettable. We already know that the seeds of dissension were planted with Charlotte and, and, um, what's her face? Uh, damn it. Dana Brooke, you know, when not, when she substituted Dana Brooke for Nia Jax to take on Sasha Banks and Bailey, we know that the seeds of dissension were planted there. We already know that there's an inevitable Sasha Banks heel turn on the horizon. So for the most part, most of the other things that went down on, on Monday night were really forgettable. I'm being honest. The New Day taking on Jinder Mahal and Rusev was, it was all right. You know, it was funny. It was, am it was amusing, but that's where it ended. Big Kaz and Luke Gallows was fucking terrible. What a, what an awful fucking match. I, I mean, out of all the matches, Kaz and, and Gallows, Sheamus and O'Neal, and Big Show and the Shining Stars were probably some of the worst matches of the night. But it wasn't all bad. There were a couple of things that we already knew were coming. Obviously, they're getting ready to write Mick Foley off of TV because he's got to go and get his hip replacement surgery, which we already see where it's going. I actually thought that they were going to pull the trigger and have Braun Strowman put Mick Foley out, which would have created a, a you know an easy way for them to do that. But they did not go for that. Instead, 
you know, we went for for a lot of foreshadowing, which was fine. But I wouldn't be shocked if Strowman is is somehow involved in Foley in Foley getting the boot, uh, so to speak, for the time being. Um, I I appreciated and enjoyed the fact that that Beth Phoenix was uh, is going into the WWE Hall of Fame. I think that Beth Phoenix was a big part uh, of the women's division in terms of just adding some credibility to it and moving them away from the hair pulling and bra and panties and gravy boat matches that we all know so well. On the contrary, we actually got to see some really good wrestling when Beth Phoenix was involved. Plus, she was she she was involved in a lot of really good moments as well. I mean, her her entering the Rumble was cool. Uh, her match with Melina was tremendous. She she definitely had plenty of amazing moments during her career, and I'm glad to see them being acknowledged. Now, of course, there's always rumors and speculation about her being back in a WWE ring, but eh, I don't know about that. We'll see what happens. It's it's always interesting when when it comes to some of the the, the female performers because you know Mickey James came back and she hasn't she hasn't lost a step on SmackDown, and obviously people would love to see. Trish Stratus or Lita back in there, but I, I think those both of those ladies are at a stage in their lives where they don't need to do this. But Beth Phoenix, I I wouldn't be shocked if she did come back for a quick run, but we'll see. I know that the conversation always floats around when people get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Obviously, everyone's waiting with bated breath for for Kurt Angle and and his debut, which I, I'll get into. But um, it was definitely cool to see. Uh, Beth Phoenix get the nod and go into the Hall of Fame. Now, the uh, the raw the contract signing to close things out with Strowman and and Roman Reigns. It was interesting because it got it got the crowd behind Roman Reigns, which was crazy to say the least. But Braun Strowman looked good in the segment. They did a good job keeping him strong. They did a good job allowing him to whoop Roman Reigns' ass through the bulk of that segment, which again kept him strong going into the pay per view. Overall, it was it was a decent raw. The ending was about as good as can be expected. And um, the thing that gets me is just the fact that they could have they could have just done so much more to build the uh, the match, the, the matches for Sunday. But I guess they're riding the wave of momentum that that Kevin Owens and Goldberg can sell you on getting people to call in. So, uh, you know, getting people to tune in. Excuse me, uh, Jay, the call in number three, four, seven, three, two, four, three, five, four, one. Uh, not sure if the switchboard is working though, because slick told me that the switchboard had some problems, but you're welcome to try in any case. Uh, nonetheless, switching gears going into SmackDown, SmackDown once again, continues to be, uh, the better show, better wrestling, better, better angle advancement. That opening segment with the Miz and John Cena was fucking stellar. It was stellar. And, um, I thought that it was amazing promo work from The Miz. Obviously, this sets up the mixed tag match at WrestleMania that I had talked about before with Cena and Nikki Bella taking on uh, The Miz and Maurice. We'll see what happens, though. I thought that the, the opening segment was definitely tremendous. David says that Beth isn't a Hall of Famer. Uh, out of curiosity, David, I'd, I'd like for you to elaborate on that. I feel that when it came to the resurgence of that women's division, Beth Phoenix was a big part of that. That's that's definitely something I gotta I gotta say. I felt Beth Phoenix was a huge part of that. And um, you know, when we were moving away, like I said, from the from the Brian Panty matches and everything else, she was she was definitely up there in moving that along. I mean, her, Michelle McCool, Layla, 
I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Michelle McCool and Layla weren't exactly having five star matches, but they did help move move us into a more serious um, women's wrestling movement. But you know, I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on it. So please feel free to elaborate in the chat, and I will share it with you guys. We also got our two out of three falls match with Mickey James and Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch went over uh, securing the victory via submission. Uh, Alexa Bliss did get involved, and I'm curious as to how that's going to affect um, her relationship with Mickey James. I think that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. That's for sure. The uh, number one contenders match with Luke Harper and AJ Styles was fucking phenomenal. No pun intended. Luke Harper, one of the most underrated big men in the business, going out there and mixing it up with the always, always, always solid AJ Styles. Of course, this adds fuel to the rumor that AJ Styles will be facing Shane McMahon at WrestleMania, which I think is fucking terrible, but that's where I kind of feel they are going. Nonetheless, uh, the match was really good. They did some good work with it. Uh, Shane eating the super kick was was good in the sense that, you know, it, it was a, it was part of, you know, the whole build up to that match. But I kind of felt that it was forced in there. Uh, you could have had it go a different way. But overall, the match itself was good. I thought Harper really, really held his own in there. And AJ Styles was money as usual. For some reason, we got a build up for Carmella and James Ellsworth taking on Nikki Bella and John Cena. I guess they need a tune up match before Mania. Ugh, I fucking hate James Ellsworth. Uh, you know, David in the chat has made it, you know, crystal clear how much he hates James Ellsworth. And I got to admit, he definitely has ran his course uh, in terms of just his involvement on, on SmackDown as of late and carrying Carmella's bags isn't doing him any favors either. Dean Ambrose's feud with the lone wolf Baron Corbin continues to move forward with the inevitable collision course at WrestleMania, which I'm not shocked about. Uh, Baron Corbin definitely has stepped it up mic wise. And I think he's really fine tuning his character in a way that it's going to make a, a, a match between him and Dean Ambrose. Very solid. I think that there's definitely plenty of, of opportunity and growth for both performers. Um, you know, just just from the perspective that I think that Ambrose definitely can help Corbin, but I also think Corbin can help Ambrose. David has elaborated on his uh, Beth Phoenix not being a Hall of Famer. He says lack of longevity, nothing really groundbreaking done. Maybe it was the lack of competition, but never say any, but never saw any greatness from her. Her most memorable moments were Santino comedy segments. You know what? I gotta. I, I'll give. I'll give you some. I'll give you some leeway with that. There's definitely an amount of things there that weren't super memorable. But to, to your point, I will say that a lack of competition at the time was definitely a big part of that because that was when we were transitioning from divas to actual wrestlers. And, and think about it. You know, Layla was still learning. Michelle McCool was kind of getting better. Melina was on her way out. You didn't, you didn't, she didn't really have too much to work with at the time. And, and I agree. I think that, that that definitely hurt her in terms of, um, you know, her groundbreaking, you know, there's, there's only so much groundbreaking stuff you can do when you're only getting three minutes a night. I mean, this whole women's movement on raw as of late and, and the resurgence of women's wrestling, we all know that that wasn't a big thing back in the day. It really wasn't. We got maybe three minute segments, the occasional bra and panties match or something degrading or stupid. And that was it. Now we're actually getting real matches, real stuff. And that's why I was saying that 
you know, people were saying that there's uh, a possibility of Beth Phoenix wrestling. And I think that if she were to wrestle now with the wealth of competition that the company has at its disposal, we may get to see exactly how good or how not so good she was. And that's where I feel there's there's potential in terms of her being a Hall of Famer. I, I'm going to use an analogy I've used before. You know, she made chicken salad out of chicken shit. She tried to have as many good matches as possible with a wealth of divas and, and female performers who at the time were barely, barely, barely able to put together a stomachable three minute match. That's all I'm saying. But, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. That's for sure. We got a chairs match between Dolph Ziggler and Apollo Crews, which was okay. I know you're trying to really strengthen Dolph Ziggler as a heel. We got it. It, it is what it is. The uh, the highlight for, for SmackDown, though, was the Bray Wyatt invocation, which was, which was tremendous. Bray Wyatt came out, cut an amazing promo, and, of course, which we knew it was coming, uh, Randy Orton turned on Bray Wyatt. It, it's interesting because it created an interesting question because a lot of people were cheering the segment, but also a lot of people were cheering Bray Wyatt. And it was something that somebody said to me the next day. They're like, did Randy Orton turn heel? and Bray Wyatt turned face in the same segment because that's almost where where it went to 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 me. I mean, when I saw that, it's almost like you felt bad for Bray Wyatt. You know, Sister Abigail was what he held on to, what gave him his power, and then you just see it destroyed by Randy Orton, who was cold and calculating and blah, 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 blah. You know, we got to see a lot out of Randy Orton in this segment, more than usual. It was it was better than it, than it has been in the last couple of weeks. Um... You know, I, I knew it was coming. It was inevitable. And we really didn't have much time. We don't have much time before WrestleMania is here. So you got to do something. But again, with Randy Orton now taking his title opportunity, we know that AJ is going to have to do something with that quote unquote number one contender slot. Do you make it a triple threat match? Sure, you could do that. But the, you know, the, the whole thing with him and Shane McMahon is just is just too obvious and too in your face at this point to ignore. But we shall see what happens. All right. So last one, of course, 205 Live. I didn't get to check out NXT yet, but um, 205 Live was good. Obviously building up towards Jack Gallagher's match with Adrian Neville, which um, I hate to say it. He's not, he's not winning, uh, but we had some good matches. I know Amdar got a got a W, even if that if it was at the expense of Lince Dorado, which I was bummed about because I like Lince Dorado and I'm tired of him losing every fucking week. Uh, Tony Nies, Drew Gulak, and Arya Davari took on TJ Perkins, Mustafa Ali, and Cedric Alexander in a pretty solid match. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, a lot of great spots there, uh, and people are definitely getting into uh, the, you know a lot of the performers. People are starting to really gravitate towards their favorites, which I definitely thought was a step in the right direction. Uh, Neville gave his state of 205 address, which was just a good way to to drive home the point that, you know, he's the superior athlete and Jack Gallagher is a nobody. It was good. They added a lot of heat to the match this Sunday. Neville's villainy is at an all-time high. He's continued to to reinvent himself and improve his delivery, and I thought that this segment was definitely indicative of that. All right, let's get into the wrestling news of the week. A couple of things to discuss uh, first and foremost, it seems that we may be seeing Kelly Kelly at WrestleMania. Why? I don't know. But um, she showed up on Maria Menounos podcast and she said that she would be 
possibly wrestling this year, saying that she was going to be at WrestleMania 33 and at the Hall of Fame ceremony and will be doing access signings as well. Curious if it's going to be a one-shot deal or if Kelly Kelly is returning to the fold. Out of curiosity, uh, what do you guys think? I think, uh, you know, Kelly Kelly started picking up some steam towards the end of her run. In terms of her wrestling, she wasn't that good, and I think that if she's going to uh, make another go at it, she definitely needs to go to NXT and learn how to actually wrestle. I hate to say it, but it's like, you know, being being a pretty face and having a pretty smile, That's that works to a point. But now when we're getting five-star matches and, and the women main eventing Raw every Monday, that shit ain't going to work. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Color commentator and announcer Tom Phillips got himself in some hot water last week, and I couldn't even believe this shit. I was like, really? Todd, Tom Phillips? So according to what it's been, what's been reported, uh, Tom Phillips was caught in an online affair uh, it seems that a woman who was involved with Phillips posted a picture on Instagram showing some uh, an ex- a sexually explicit conversation between her and Tom Phillips, which appears to be a text conversation from an iPhone. According to what's been said, uh, the Instagram post is captioned. This is why I don't trust people without my friends. I never would have known that a high profile WWE commentator who was talking to me and wanted to get together is engaged. I had zero idea, and I couldn't be more sorry to the girl involved. You deserve better than this. Apparently, nobody is faithful anymore. Of course, shortly after this, uh, Tom Phillips put all his social media profiles to private, and um, neither WWE nor Tom Phillips have talked about it. (laughs) Listen, man, when you are a celebrity or a public person, you can't just go sliding into people's DMs and not think that it's going to get out there. You know, even if you're just Tom Phillips, the fucking color commentator guy, people know who you are. (laughs) People see you on TV, especially wrestling fans. They will know. So, yeah, I think Tom Phillips is going to be sleeping on the couch very soon, if not already. Uh, It was just crazy that it broke out. and I was like, wow, not something you read every day. I mean, you know, guys, guys, pro, pro wrestlers get outed for shit all the time, but you know, very rarely is it a dude that does color commentary, but you know, it is, it is what it is. Anyway, in the world of TNA impact wrestling has seen a resurgence, a, a, a kind of calm period. And now there is treacherous water afloat. And I say this because when TNA was on the verge of getting rid of Dixie Carter, the future of the company was in doubt. We thought Billy Corrigan was going to take it over. Then the Billy Corrigan thing fell through. Then Anthem came in and they put a bunch of money into the product and new performers. Everybody was happy, motivation. Everybody was rocking and rolling. And yeah. So with, with the return, with the return of Jeff Jarrett, Dutch Mantle, Scott Diamore, all the usual suspects, You know, it's good for some TNA guys, but clearly it is not good for others. First off, Drew Galloway, who I had mentioned was working without a contract, has officially stated publicly that he is no longer part of Impact Wrestling. Uh, Galloway debuted with TNA back in 2015 and has officially called it quits. The question is, will we see the, uh, you know, the, the, the Scottish superstar back in the WWE, especially with the resurgence of of so many European superstars on WWE programming, or are we going to see him go to New Japan or perhaps Ring of Honor or even Evolve for that matter? 
the you know the the future's pretty bright for Drew Galloway. He was always he was always a solid performer. He had a good look, but he just didn't have the right the right gimmick or the right opportunity. We'll see what happens. We'll see if he makes his way back to WWE. I think Galloway is one of those guys that you could really build up in NXT as a as a valuable commodity and then possibly transition him up. But who knows? I mean, you know, Galloway's Galloway's pretty over, which is crazy because they don't really. He's never really had like a concrete character. He just always comes out with long black hair. He's like wearing the hoodie and TNA. No real direction, but it worked. People were into it. So we'll see what happens. In addition, the uh, the saga with the Hardys is officially at an end and the Hardys are no longer with TNA either. Now, this has raised a ton of questions. Obviously, uh, the big one is the fact that if they're coming back to WWE, which with the recent uh, shutting down of the Hardy store, uh, due to Rebby Hardy obviously being pregnant with Matt Hardy's second child and all this other stuff is, you know, it's an, it's something that definitely strengthened the argument that they were coming back to WWE, but we weren't sure. But according to what numerous websites have reported, it seems that TNA was kind of lackadaisical to say the least with their, with, with their negotiations. And they, um they pretty much treated the Hardys fairly poor, during the negotiation process so much so that Matt Hardy felt disrespected and Jeff Hardy also uh, from the negotiations and they decided to not renew with TNA. Now the question is, where do we go from here? Now, obviously the easy money is coming back to WWE, which like I said, with the close of the Hardy store, I wouldn't be shocked if that's where they go. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we get a hall of fame induction, maybe next year, but I still think that the Hardys have something to bring. I mean, the whole broken Hardy gimmick, whether it was broken Matt or brother Nero or everything, really gave TNA a shot in the arm and got t- people talking about TNA. Because think about it, when when the Hardys were doing Tag Team Apocalypto and all this crazy shit, everybody was talking about them. And to Slick's point, the Hardys carried them through 2016. That is 100% correct. Nobody was talking about TNA on social media. Nobody was chanting delete if it wasn't for the Hardys. The Hardys were a big part of TNA holding it together in a very, very uncertain time in 2016. And for them to be treated the way they've been treated based on what I've seen is just very, very unfortunate. But, you know, WWE will gladly scoop them up and give them a fuckload of money anyway. Plus, both guys are getting up in age. They got kids and they're probably going to want to lock down some sort of legends deal. So don't be shocked if we see the Hardys sooner rather than later, especially when so many WWE superstars have name dropped the Hardys already. Another duo departing TNA. And I'm really shocked about this because I reported during last week's episode that they were pretty much signed or, or on the verge of signing, but it looks like Maria Kanellis and Mike Bennett are no longer with Impact Wrestling. Uh, according to PW Insider, it says that the two are working on per-appearance deals since their contracts expired late last year, and there were they were in talks to re-sign, but according to what's been said, they had agreed to terms, but later told TNA that they would not be re-signing. Now the question is, did WWE scoop up Mike Bennett and Maria Kanellis? Maria, of course, to bolster the uh, the women's division and Mike Bennett would be a, a a solid addition to NXT or even a good mid Carter that remains to be seen. Slick adds when you have WWE chanting delete 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 TNA done fucked up. <laughs> 
Val says the Hardys will be jobbed into oblivion if they go to WWE. Maybe, maybe not, but I tell you this much, they will sell a fuckload of merch if they come to WWE. And if Matt Hardy can keep the broken gimmick in WWE, they're going to push the shit out of it. I'm serious. They're going to push the shit out of that. I mean, we obviously know we'd get a match with the New Day. Uh, You know, Matt Hardy wanted to do some stuff with Bray Wyatt. There's a lot of potential there. WWE would be foolish to squander it. So we shall see what happens. While we are on the subject of WWE news, it looks like the the match between Shaquille O'Neal and the Big Show is not happening. Not like anybody really gave a shit, but no, it is not happening. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal is going as far as saying that it's not going to happen. That's probably right. He said, it's not my fault. That's all you need to know. It ain't my fault. It doesn't matter what they say. It has nothing to do with the diesel and his management. (laughs) Um, He said uh, he started doing training twice a day and that if the big show shows up, it's going to go down. Listen, Shaq and the big show at WrestleMania was all well and good when it was a rumor. The sooner it started to take shape, the sooner I started giving less of a fuck about it. I'm being honest. And and going one step further, it's like, okay, Shaq, you're going to show up when exactly? And you're going to do what? Because clearly you're going to want to go over, which at the expense of the big show, I get. But come on, man. The big show is going to stay there. Shaq, Shaq isn't. What are you going to do? Have Shaq come in? Have big show do the job for what? Big Show's a company man, and he'll definitely do it, but why? For what? I get it. You know, Big Show and Shaq, it's, it's a big deal. But is it really? You could give, you could give that, that slot on WrestleMania, on the WrestleMania card, to so many other performers. Nobody cares about fucking Shaq and the Big Show. I'm sorry. I'm not losing any sleep about it, and neither should you. All right. This Sunday, of course, WWE Fastlane. The last pay-per-view for the Raw brand before WrestleMania. This is the opportunity for the Raw brand to right any wrongs that they feel they may have done en route to the biggest stage of them all. And, um... (laughs) Oh, Oh, Jimbo Slice. That that communique is just awful (laughs) on so many levels. Anyway, so WWE Fastlane this Sunday. Match prediction time. Let's get to it. Our kickoff match is going to be Noam Dar and Brian Kendrick taking on Tozawa and Rich Swan. As much as I feel that the match is going to be competitive, they're definitely going to give the, the win to Tozawa and Swan. Tozawa starting to get over. Swan is super popular. And the loss isn't going to hurt Brian Kendrick. And poor Noam Dar, he's, he's just there. <laughs> so it's just not going to happen. Uh, Sasha Banks and Nia Jax. As much as I feel Nia Jax is probably going to be the victor in this match, I wouldn't be shocked if Sasha pulls off some sort of crazy, you know, hits her with a steel chair or something and secures the victory to, you know, set the course for WrestleMania. Or it could end in shenanigans because there is that as well. But if I were to go with the clean victory, I got to say Sasha Banks. But, you know, it's it. That's that's how I see it. Sami Zayn and Samoa Joe, another great Ring of Honor standout match to to ride the wave of momentum from Cesaro and Samoa Joe from Monday. I got no problems with this match. This match is going to be tremendous. And even though I like Sami Zayn and I'd like for him to get the win, you got to keep Samoa Joe strong. So Samoa Joe definitely going over in this match. Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns is probably going to end in some sort of a crazy 
crazy no contest. They're going to like fall off the balcony or some shit because you don't want to derail Braun Strowman and you don't want Roman Reigns to lose. So what do you do? Maybe they both run into fucking traffic and get hit by a bus. I don't know, but it, it, it's, it's a tough one to call because like I said, the, the, the 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 seasoned wrestling fan in me feels that Braun Strowman is going to ride this wave of momentum to WrestleMania. He's a pet project. He's over, and people are chanting for him. So that's the that's the direction they might go in. But obviously, Roman Reigns is Roman Reigns, and you got to keep Roman strong. So man, it's it's a tough call. But I'm going to go against my my better judgment and say that Braun Strowman's going to win this match only because. There's there's more at stake with Strowman losing than with Roman losing. That's all I'm saying. Enzo Amore and Big Cass are taking on Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. And as much as I would love Gallows and Anderson to retain, it is way, 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 way overdue for them to try and give Enzo and Big Cass the belts. I don't like it. I'm sure many of you don't, but it's got to happen. It's got to. And at the expense of, of Gallows and Anderson, I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't. So I see brand new tag team champions in our future. On the cruiserweight side of things, Jack Gallagher, Neville, as much as I like Jack Gallagher and I think he's awesome, Neville all the way. Neville's going to look like a like an, like an all-star in this match. And it's obviously probably going to build up towards the inevitable Neville and Austin Aries um collision course which is probably going to happen sooner rather than later so that's that's how i see it your women's championship match charlotte taking on bailey you know everybody loves bailey bailey's you know riding this huge wave of momentum but i feel that with charlotte and the fact that they're pushing the fact that she's undefeated at pay-per-view so much i would not be shocked if charlotte won the match and won the title to go into wrestlemania and then at Mania, Bailey defeats Charlotte, thus breaking her undefeated pay-per-view streak. That's how I see it going, and I'd be shocked at anything less. So definitely Charlotte picking up the belt uh, this Sunday. Uh, WWE Universal Championship match, Goldberg, Kevin Owens. As much as I would like Owens to keep the title going into Mania, the issue between him and Chris Jericho remains unresolved. I have a feeling Jericho is going to get involved in some capacity, costing Kevin Owens the match. Goldberg wins, goes on to Mania with the title, and um, Kevin Owens, meanwhile, goes on to Mania to face Chris Jericho for the U.S. title. All right, so there you have it, guys. Those are the WWE Fastlane predictions, and um, that is officially the icing on the cake for uh, the wrestling segment for our 400th episode of My Take Radio. So I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling for 400 episodes. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out. Rageworks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Links, as always, for social media in the show notes for this episode. Before we wrap up for the final time, once again, I want to thank all of you guys for riding with us from episode one to episode 400. Those of you that came on board at episode 100, episode 200, hell, episode 300, I am grateful for all of your ears, all of your listens. Um, you know, it's been an awesome ride, and I, I appreciate it. I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, as I said at the start of the show, I've made a, a lot of great friends, reconnected with some old ones uh, because of this stuff. So, 
you know, I, those are those are things that I owe to this, you know, to my take radio, to a microphone and, you know, a, a, a desire to give you guys a ton of craziness uh, for two hours to not, Well, let me rephrase that for three hours to 90 minutes to even 60 minutes. You know, I'm glad you guys have, have tuned in and enjoyed it. As I said at the start of the show, I'll, you know, I'll still be involved in podcasting, just not with with my take radio or with that. If anything, you know, I may I may do something with beyond the mic or beyond the mic. Uh, well, let me rephrase that with behind the mic or beyond the mic and, and do interviews with that and release those periodically. Or uh, maybe we'll just, you know, do some specials. Uh, more so under the RageWorks moniker and not under the My Take Radio moniker. The uh, the end of this show officially retires uh, My Take Radio as a moniker. Like I said, it's it's something that has evolved. It's all about RageWorks and everything that we've done. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys stick around, enjoy the rest of the ride. Make sure to support the rest of our shows, whether it's the Varian Issue, Call Me When It's Over, the regular season sportscast, Black is the New Black, or any other shows we have on the horizon our job is always to give you the best rants about gaming entertainment and the works thank you guys so much for 400 episodes i'm grateful for each and every one of you and i'll see y'all later peace